Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us for worship with Christ Central of Southern California online. It's my privilege to bring to you God's Word. It comes to us from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. We're going to be talking about the goat, the greatest of all time. Please follow along as I read this for us, beginning at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Greatness. Greatness. Who doesn't want to be great? At least in some way. Uh, the more unique or the more unprecedented, the better. Well, this desire to be great, sad to say, does not disappear if you become religious or even devoted to Jesus. We find here two disciples who straight up ask with no embarrassment or shame. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want to sit at your right and at your left hand in glory. They want to become great. Uh, but this passage just bursts with irony. Because they're completely oblivious to the greatest of all time right before them, Jesus Christ himself. Most people, even people who say they believe and follow Jesus for a long time, even people who are seemingly close to Jesus for a long time, actually don't get the greatness of Jesus at all. Because here in this passage, Jesus comes down to redefine greatness. He demonstrates, demonstrates it at a very, very great cost. Third, 
by moving down to serve. All right, three parts. Jesus redefines greatness, demonstrates it at great cost by moving down to serve. Okay, first, the redefinition. Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel, we're into chapter 10. Now we're getting into kind of the center of all the action. It gets all the more loaded and packed from here because we come into a section of what Jesus primarily came to do. The first eight or nine chapters shows his identity, who he really is. But now we delve into the part of what Jesus came to do. And Mark, he is a surprising author. He's a director that likes to bring up puzzling things that we never had foreseen. In our sermon trailer, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, you see words like restart, reborn, and finally, because of an unexpected Savior. Here's a case in point. Case in point. Jesus here predicts that both Jews and Gentiles, his countrymen and foreigners, chief priests and scribes, religiously professional folks, and pagan folks, everyone altogether will mock and spit on him. I remember during baseball practice in junior high, one of my, who I thought were my friends, came up to me and said, you know, Harold, I like, I like your kind. I was too young and naive to be offended because it was a backhanded compliment. What he proceeded to say was, I like your kind because you don't have an accent and actually you play baseball. Uh, on another random day after junior high in Torrance, um, I was spat on. And it's hard to forget, I was spat on with the racial slur. For some reason, I don't know why I wasn't that upset or offended then. But I can't forget it. Mockery and spit leaves its marks. Jesus goes on to predict of himself that he would be flogged. Flogged. A mutilating, gory, torturous experience. These are whips and cords with animal bones or large jagged stones at the end that would just... Rip out flesh every time you were flogged. And then Jesus eventually says, ultimately, he came to die. He would be killed. Now, why does Jesus include at least four humiliating, gory details here? Details in the way that he came to die. Well, in essence, because to be great, and to become truly great in the way of the greatest of all time is not at all what you and I want or expect. Jesus came down to redefine. Redefine this and so much of everything else that we assume we know. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells us precisely who is great. Who is the greatest among you? In other words, who are the blessed? He taught, blessed are you who are poor. And he goes on to say, blessed are you who go hungry. Third, blessed are those who weep, who weep for now. And then just picking up at verse 22, it reads, blessed are, the, are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you 
and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. So listen, my friends, according to Jesus, greatness comes with losing things. Great and blessed are you if you lose wealth. Great or blessed are you if you lose daily security and provisions. Great or blessed are you when you weep rather than laugh. And great and blessed are you if you lose people liking you, respecting you, speaking well of you. He says, for my sake, on account of the Son of Man. He said, you, rejo- you should rejoice in that day for you are indeed great or blessed in his kingdom and await you a great reward. How upside down this seems to be. Now, of course, for many of us, we're not going to be jailed for being identified as a Christian as sisters and brothers are in China. You and I may not have to be literally beaten down on a daily basis by family members because you secretly went out to meet with Christians in other parts of today's world. But I assure you in this country, I think the stakes are being raised a bit where if you are identified as a Christian, a Bible-believing, Jesus-worshipping, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following, that kind of Christian, well, people will look at you different. People just kind of lump you with a certain category of voting a certain way. People will talk about you different, maybe behind your back. They might be treated different. And do you know why? It's because you are different. You are different if you do follow after Jesus Christ. But here's the question. Who still wants to follow Christ? Who still wants to be great? When Jesus came down to redefine it, to redefine it in these terms. Oh, second. Jesus demonstrates his greatness at great cost. At great cost. Verse 45, one of the most important seminal passages in the entire Bible. Here is the mission statement to the life of Jesus. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus came, after all, to pay a ransom. To pay off a ransom. A ransom, of course, as you know, is a cost that someone must pay to purchase back a prisoner, a hostage, or a slave. In our lingo, of course, it's most often used with kidnapping. If your son or daughter, God forbid, had been kidnapped, how much would you pay? What kind of ransom would you pay? What kind of ransom would you do everything in your power to gather and to produce? Well, this, according to Jesus, is precisely what he came down to do. And do you know how much he paid? No matter what the world or you may feel about yourself, 
No matter how much sin and shame you find yourself in, spiraling down into in this last year, this in no way lessens your value before the eyes of Jesus Christ. Not even one bit. Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it declares, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, in other words, Jesus is not repelled, disgusted, turned off, or even ashamed of coming to you in your sin. In fact, somehow his love is attracted all the more to come save you from your sin. In fact, somehow Jesus is moved. He comes after you all the more, even in our worst and deepest sins. And your worth and value before him is not diminished in any regard. Although your conscience and your heart and everyone else may tell you so. No, this cannot be the case. Because even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is really how much you are worth. Your life is worth his. My life is worth his. Can you believe that? Jesus came down to pay off a ransom at the greatest cost to himself. He gave up his life for your life. This is why an apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 He tells us, because in verse 19 to 20, verses 19 to 20 of chapter 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. But many people today believe, and some of you may think and believe this as well, oh, you know, but God loves everybody. He lets things slide. There's no ransoms to be paid. There's no sins to be forgiven. You know, no eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. That's kind of an ancient bloodthirsty concept. This is uh, very common in mainline liberal theology and churches, as well as in a lot of progressive movements today, where all the evils and divisions and injustices of today's world, painful as they are, will somehow fade if we can just all get together and make the world a better place. But question, if there is no justice or holy wrath from God, no cross-bearing, bloodletting, or the agonies and miseries of hell that were taken up by Jesus instead of you, there was no experience of the other side underneath the justice of God by Jesus as a substitute in the place of you. If these things did not need to happen at all, can you explain why you believe God loves you so? Can you explain how is it that God has shown or proven to you he loves you so? You know, a love that costs nothing, a love that has no sweat, blood, or tears, a love that is cheap, will leave you bland. It'll leave you unfazed. 
At the same time, there's some of you who grew up religious and strict because deep down in your hearts, you actually believe God hates everybody except if you keep his laws. And so people must pay. People should pay up. And you are one of the people that make sure other people pay. Unless one day you get caught and you end up having to pay it yourself and it's an enormous amount. But here again is Jesus who comes in the gospel not to exact and insist payment from you, but he came to pay it himself. A ransom upon our bodies and souls. A ransom that he did not deserve. A ransom that he did not create. And yet Jesus comes and pays it himself. Listen, nobody, nobody imagines this about God. Nobody even dares to think this might be what God is like. You see, because if you're irreligious, you can't believe a ransom has to be paid for good people like themselves because of real justice. But if you grew up really religious, religious people can't stomach paying for really bad people because of amazing love and grace. You know, this last Sunday night, I was invited to a pretty magnificent fundraiser for missionaries in Cambodia and throughout Southeast Asia. And the host got to share his little story of how he got involved back in 2009 during the recession. Started a business, worked 90 plus hour weeks. It was brutal. But by 2014 or 2015 or so, he had done well. They had made pretty good money. But he sensed such emptiness inside. At the request of a good professor friend that he had, he made a mission trip out to Vietnam. And he met a lady who bought a parcel of land for mission purposes at $60,000. Well, that host found out that she had emptied out her entire retirement account to purchase that land for the advancement of the gospel. Oh, he went on to share that moment gave him life. That moment gave him a new direction, a purpose again, to love and sacrificially give, even at a cost, so that the name and the gospel of Jesus might be spread. You know, if you're moved by that story of a lady who would empty out her 401k, as was I. You know, it made me think of Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. I'll read it for us. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here's what Jesus observed in his own day. Oh, the well-to-do, the wealthy, the successful money to burn, and they put in large amounts, but it really doesn't hurt or affect their lifestyles one bit. 
And along comes a lady who puts in absolutely everything she had. Now, why did this move Jesus so deeply? I suspect it's because Jesus saw what he himself had come to do. To pay a ransom by emptying everything he had. To pay a ransom by giving all that he had. To pay a ransom that would hurt and affect him to death at the greatest cost of his own infinite and perfect life. Jesus demonstrated his greatness at great cost, finally, by moving down to serve. He moves down to serve. You know, like James and John, so often, we can hear sermons and go to church, say that we believe and follow Jesus around here and there, even have witnessed and thanked God for miracles upon miracles. And yet, we can look and act no different from anybody else. Mark is being incredibly ironic here. Because right after Jesus predicts with gruesome detail of how he came to die, give his whole life away, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, make this request in verse 35. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It is remarkable how Jesus puts up with them, puts up with me, let alone even bothers to answer their question at all. James and John want to sit on the right hand and to the left hand of Jesus Christ when he enters glory. They want to become like top officials in his cabinet. Their lobbying and jockeying is comical and disgraceful, but prevalent. Because Mark tells us that the other ten disciples, upon hearing this, grew indignant with James and John, revealing that they too all want to become great. They all want a piece of greatness. But where and when did Jesus Christ himself experience his greatest moment of glory? According to the Gospels, where and when did Jesus best show forth the pure justice of God and the amazing love of God? Only at the cross. That's right, it was at the cross. And at his crucifixion, there was somebody to the right and to the left. They were both dying there. They were just both being crucified along with him. And so when Jesus turns around to say in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. It's like covering James and John with a warm mercy blanket. You have no idea what you're asking when you tell me you want to sit at my right and to my left in glory. You know, on this note, you and I ought to thank God for a countless, countless number of unanswered prayers. You know how merciful and good God is that when we do ask things that we have no idea what we are asking for, when we do go to Jesus with absurd, crazy requests that would ruin our lives or bring things into our lives that we 
would never handle how Jesus turns around and mercifully covers us and just says, you don't know what you're asking for and does not give us what we ask for. Listen to how Jesus describes his greatest moment of glory. The cup, the cup almost always referred to the perfect judgment of God upon all evil. And yet here's Jesus who came to drink it all down. In baptism, you get to see someone get down to kneel or to be immersed. Well, Jesus moved down. He moved all the way down. This is his path to greatness. This is the only path to greatness of all time. But they don't get it. They don't want to get it. Do you? Do I? Look at verses 43 and 44. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Who is great among you? Well, in the eyes of Jesus, in his everlasting kingdom, where everything will be set right, but it will be upside down of what we are used to in this present age. Greatness is reserved for those who are like unsung heroes on this side, but certainly not on the other. Unsung heroes but those who will be sung over, rejoiced over, and glorified with him, Christ himself. Let me close with something practical. What is the greatest influence that you and I can ever have? Well, verse 42, Jesus spells out the way of this world and how different it is from the way of Jesus. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yeah, so I don't know if I have to explain this at all because you and I are so accustomed, obsessive, busy trying to do these things until you meet Jesus. The way of the world to become great is by gaining, gaining power, gaining authority, gaining titles, gaining positions, Gaining leverage, becoming higher than other folks, climbing the social or political or economic ladder. But Jesus turned it around, turns it all upside down. He says, not so among you. No, not in my kingdom. This is not the kind of greatness that will outlast all of time. But if you really want to be great in the way that Jesus is great, here's what he means. See, when you and I become so giving, so sacrificial, you like look for ways to serve people, even if it means you move down. You look for ways to meet people's needs practically. And when people who don't believe what you may believe get to see how you give and serve and move down to help them out, they actually start to believe they can't imagine their life or their community being better off without you. In fact, they cannot imagine life and community without you in it. 
Jesus is talking about when his people become more like him. And you become a person who exists and you're actually more out for them rather than yourself. You actually exist and live in such a way where you are more in love with them more than you are in love with yourself. And that kind of stunning beauty will give you an influence that is voluntarily and gladly given. And that influence, that kind of influence is the greatest of all. You see, the influence that is based on profit or personality, performance, threat, social pressure, or even religious self-interest is not that powerful at all. But this kind of influence, the kind of influence that Jesus demonstrated at great cost by moving down all the way down to serve, this is the kind of influence that changes people. This is the kind of influence that actually heals families and communities. This is the kind of influence that turns around whole societies. This is the kind of influence that actually reconciles bitter enemies. This is the kind of influence that Jesus came to bring. I mean, on this day, Worship Sunday, of course, and also it's Mother's Day, think of those who have most influenced you most deeply most effectively and enduringly. Yoon Yeo-jung, the first Korean, second Asian, I understand, to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in Minari, but after a very long, successful career in Korea. When she was asked, Yoon Yeo-jung was asked, why there's been such an outpouring of respect and honor for that role, she said at a Korean news conference, quote, there's nothing I did well. The script was well written. The absolute love and sacrifice of our grandmother and parents are a universal story. That probably pulled the heartstrings of many. Lee Isaac Chung wrote the script with deep sincerity. End quote. My, you know, she sounds like a selfless mom. Even off the movie screen. She gave quite a witty speech as well when she received the award. Made us proud. But here in real life, actually in real life, there is one who's absolute love and sacrifice. For the most undeserving of all makes him the goat. Makes him the goat. And it's not in the way that you would want or expect. See, see how much he came to give, not gain. Please soak, soak it all the way into your soul. Not how high and lofty and safe he remained, but how far Jesus moved down to serve you and I in the most important ways. Get what he gives. Please get served by Jesus. And his influence in you and through you will surpass all others. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father in heaven, this is the most difficult, abnormal word. For deep in my own heart and in our hearts, we all want to be great. 
But, oh, Lord, until you come in and invade our lives, redefine our identity in our hearts, show us and love us at such a cost, Lord, we won't change. But we ask, oh, God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would change us. Oh, Lord, inside out to give and to serve and to influence and heal the world much like you. Oh, hear us, we pray. We need you so desperately. And for those, oh God, who need Jesus Christ to come and save them and love them even in our sin. Oh, hear their prayer this day. Come and forgive and touch them. Enter into their lives for your great glory and for their eternal life with you. Hear us in all these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.